I cannot believe you said hip hop, bro. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. They were the heroes of Texas wrestling, the legend of Dallas's world-famous sportatorium, and the idols of millions. For a few years, their stars shined brighter than any in the Lone Star State before heartbreaking tragedy destroyed their empire. This week, we look at part two of the triumph and tragedy of Texas' greatest wrestling dynasty, the Von Erichs. But first, who's your favorite Texas golfer? Well, I'm going to take the easy route and say Babe Zaharias, because um, we not too long ago did an episode on her, and she was pretty much the only Texan golfer that uh, I could think of. Oh, well, I mean, that's great. But uh, I'm going to go back to Dallas and say that Lee Trevino, <laughs> the super mix. Yes, which is actually a name I have heard, and my dad was a fan of Lee Trevino. He's amazing. I got to see him play golf once a lot. Super It's incredible. <laughs> He's great. My favorite is a classic from one of the, from the olden days of golf, uh, the, the golden age of golf, Ben Hogan. I would say, is he related to Hulk? No, no, but his nickname was... The Hawk Ben Hogan. Hawk. Hawk Hogan. Yeah. It's got a nice ring to it. An honorable mention honorable mention would go to uh, legendary, another legendary guy, Byron Nelson, who uh, gave his name to the uh, Byron Nelson Classic in Dallas. Oh, well, I've heard of that. Well, we'll have to do Legends of Texas Golf someday. <laughs> <laughs> in the early 1980s, the biggest stars in wrestling and the biggest stars in Dallas were the famed Von Erich family. Family patriarch Fritz von Erich transformed one of the great bad guys of the 1950s and 60s into an all-American hero in the Dallas promotion he took over in the 1960s. He groomed his sons David, Kevin, and Kerry into even bigger stars as the 80s rolled around. By 1983, it saw their world-class championship wrestling promotion on fire with a feud between the hometown heroes and the cocky rivals, the fabulous Freebirds. With a hot territory and a slickly produced and innovative TV show, the Von Erich family looked like it couldn't be stopped. But with 1984 came a series of tragedies and misfortunes that would destroy the Von Erich business and legacy. On February 10th, 1984, tragedy struck the family again over 25 years after the accidental death of young Jack Atkinson Jr., Fritz's oldest son. While on tour in Japan, David Von Erich was found dead in his hotel room. The cause of death is still today a mystery. The official cause was an intestinal rupture caused by gastroenteritis. Over the years, it was commonly assumed that drugs played a role, but his friend, referee David Manning, and fellow wrestler Scott Irwin, who was on the tour, said that he was sick before leaving and that he'd overeaten at a steak restaurant in Tokyo before going back to his hotel room. His death was front-page news throughout Texas, triggering an overwhelming outpouring of shock and grief among his many fans. An estimated 5,000 people attended his funeral in Dallas. A week after his death, the world-class broadcast was devoted to his life, with tributes from both friends as well as enemies, including the Freebirds and Ric Flair. When the Von Erichs finally returned to action, it was announced that the May Parade of Champions to be held at Texas Stadium 
would now be called the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions, and Kerry would challenge Flair for the NWA World Championship. Fritz would also come out of retirement and join Kerry and Mike in facing the Freebirds in a final no-holds-barred battle. 50,000 people packed Texas Stadium to see Fritz and his sons defeat the Freebirds and win the NWA World Six-Man Tag Team Championship, but they were even more thrilled to see Kerry finally defeat Ric Flair for the NWA World Championship. Fans flooded the ring to celebrate with the Von Erichs as he held up the belt and a yellow rose in honor of his brother. It was the greatest moment in Texas wrestling, but it was the beginning of the end for the Von Erich family. Kerry only held the world title for a few weeks, losing the belt back to Flair in Japan. There were never any plans for Kerry to be a long-term champion, and being booked to win the belt was really a sign of respect for Fritz and to honor David's memory. Even as early as that point, all of the boys, and especially Kerry, had reputations for being unreliable, and worse, less squeaky clean than their godly and goodly TV personas made them out to be. Kerry had been arrested at DFW Airport in late 1983, when returning from Mexico with large amounts of drugs, mostly pain pills. The charges went away quietly, and most people assumed that Fritz pulled strings in the courthouse. But there were other incidents with both the law and wrestling promoters that, though hushed up, were well known by insiders. In his 2005 Texas Monthly article about the Von Erichs, writer John Sprague said, It was when that reality collided with the boys' saintly image that dealing with the real world became too much to bear. They were billed as unbeatable, all-American, born-again kids. There wasn't much room for merely being human. Nowhere was this more apparent than with the second-to-youngest brother, Mike. Mike never really wanted to be a wrestler. Slightly built, somewhat shy, and lacking his older brother's charisma, he either wanted to be a musician or to work behind the scenes on the production end of the business. Kevin later said that Mike told him he wanted to be a fireman. However, he was pressured into getting into the ring by his father, whom he idolized, and was pushed way too hard and way too fast. In the summer of 1985, he aggravated a high school football injury in his shoulder while on tour in Israel. He returned to Dallas and opted to have surgery to repair the damage. Within a few days of the surgery, he returned to Parkland Hospital with a dangerously high fever. He was diagnosed with toxic shock syndrome which was believed to have been caused by some gauze being left behind in his body from the surgery. His temperature soared to 107 degrees, and he lost 40 pounds in just a few days. The family was told that he wouldn't survive, and they were told to say their goodbyes, but somehow he survived. When Mike returned to TV a few months later, he just wasn't the same. He was noticeably thinner, and at times seemed unintelligible when he talked. His family says he slipped in and out of depression and increased his drug and alcohol intake. He had several run-ins with the law and in April 1987 was arrested for a third time for DUI. After being released from jail, he wrote a note to his family, drove out to Lake Dallas near where he grew up, climbed into a sleeping bag, and overdosed on sleeping pills. He was not found for several days. He was 23 years old. Within a few days of his death being confirmed, Fritz renamed the Parade of Champions yet again to be held in May, the David and Mike Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. Only 6,000 people, barely a tenth of the huge stadium's capacity, attended, and people had already begun to doubt the legend of the Von Erichs. Crowds had been slipping for over a year. While Mike was out, Kerry was involved in a motorcycle accident, which nearly severed his foot in April 1986. 
It was surgically repaired, but he came back too soon and damaged the foot so severely that it had to be amputated. This was kept secret, and Carey wore a special boot that allowed him to wrestle. It was several years before anyone found out when it accidentally came off during a match before a horrified crowd. While Carey and Mike were recovering, Fritz bought in another Von Erich, who he said was Waldo's son Lance. In reality, he was Ricky Vaughn, a local boy who'd recently been wrestling in Oregon. Kevin, as well as the other wrestlers and Booker Gary Hart, all opposed the decision, since people in the area knew Vaughn and knew he wasn't a Von Erich. But Fritz persisted. Lance was never a draw and in the end jumped to a rival promotion in 1987, causing Fritz to admit that he wasn't a Von Erich and would never be mentioned on TV again. As the 80s drew on, the fortunes of world class continued to wane. Multiple attempts to restart the Von Erichs Freebird feud were an exercise in diminishing returns. WCCW, like most of the regional territories, was overtaken on the national wrestling scene by Hulk Hogan and the WWF. And the savings and loan crisis and oil busts of the mid to late 80s caused audiences to decline in Texas and Oklahoma. Attempts to team up with the American Wrestling Alliance out of Minnesota and the Continental Wrestling Alliance out of Memphis were mostly unsuccessful, and they ultimately resulted in Fritz ceding control of his promotion to Memphis promoter Jerry Jarrett in 1989. The deal made Jarrett 60% owner of the promotion, with Kerry and Kevin owning the other 40%. They remained the top stars, but over the next two, year, but over the next two years, more and the more of the territory featured regulars from the Memphis promotion. 1990 saw the end of world-class championship wrestling and the debut of the youngest Von Erich, Chris. Family and friends have said that Chris loved the wrestling business more than all the others and desperately wanted to be a star wrestler like his dad and like Carrie, whom he had idolized. Chris developed severe asthma at a very young age and took medication to help him breathe easier. The medication stunted his growth, and even though he spent hours at the gym emulating his big brother Carrie, he couldn't put on muscle. Even at his largest, he was only 5 foot 5 inches and 160 pounds. He was dwarfed by his father and all his brothers, even Mike, who though he was slim, was still over 6 feet tall. The medication also made his bones very fragile. Kevin told a story that when he was training for his wrestling career, he put up his arm to block a punch, breaking his arm. He healed up and tried to do a drop kick, resulting in a broken leg. When Chris did finally wrestle his first match in 1990, he broke his arm in another place entirely. Chris took the death of Mike very hard. He and Mike were best friends, closer in age than Mike was to the oldest three brothers. Though Mike Von Erich didn't want to be a wrestler, both younger brothers took advantage of the Von Erich name, reveling in the notoriety. When Mike died, Chris was devastated and it gave him all the more resolve to start wrestling, despite his physical limitations. Chris's only real wrestling feud was against the overweight manager Percy Pringle, who was the manager of a new rising star, stunning Steve Austin. Chris wrestled several matches against Pringle, often getting hurt. As his career refused to catch on, depression and drug addiction began to eat away at Chris. On September 12, 1991, Chris joined his brothers by shooting himself in the head. 1991 saw Jerry Jarrett's USWA promotion pull out of Dallas. A new promotion, Global Wrestling Federation, which was unaffiliated with the Von Erich family, began running shows at the Sportatorium. Kevin worked for a while in the Boston area in international world-class championship wrestling before mostly retiring 
only coming back occasionally to work independent shows. He'd had a drug overdose in the ring earlier and nearly killed himself later by hitting his head on a corner post in a match. Carey was working at the time for the World Wrestling Federation, winning the Intercontinental Championship shortly after arriving in 1990. He frequently teamed with his friend, then world champion, The Ultimate Warrior, who'd been a big star in Dallas in the mid-80s. By 1992, Carey's drug use and erratic behavior caused his support from the WWF to dissipate. He lost his house, his marriage was on the rocks, and he had two failed stints at the Betty Ford Clinic. He returned to Dallas, worked matches for the Global Wrestling Federation, and once again ran afoul of the law. In late 1992, he was on probation for forging prescriptions for pain pills and was arrested again in January 1993 for possession of cocaine. This time around, he was facing real prison time. On February 18, 1993, Carey was indicted and scheduled to go before a judge the next day. Carey went to his dad's house that afternoon and found a pistol he'd given Fritz a few years before. After hugging his dad and telling him he had some thinking to do, he drove into the woods, sat against a tree, and put a single bullet through his heart. He was only 33 years old. Wrestling superstar Bret Hart, whose father Stu had trained Fritz years before, said in his biography that Carey had told him months before the suicide about his plans. Hart said Carey told him that he wanted to follow his four brothers and that they were calling him. Fritz himself late, Fritz later said that he thought his family had a curse. Most people close to the family say it wasn't a curse, but it was in fact Fritz's unwillingness to force his boys to get the help that they needed to reduce the pressure on them. Gary Hart said that Fritz felt admitting to their faults was a sign of weakness. Doris had enough after Chris's death divorcing Fritz. Fritz would have a stroke in 1997 and died of cancer a few months later. Doris passed away in 2015 into her 80s. She had spent the last years living with Kevin and his family in Hawaii. Kevin Von Erich has had long stretches out of the business. But in recent years, his sons Ross and Marshall have become wrestlers, wrestling in Japan and on the independent scene. Carrie's daughter Lacey is also a professional wrestler. Kevin has been the custodian of the family's legacy for nearly 20 years now. The deaths of his brothers, as well as his own near-death experiences in the ring, caused him to finally clean up and kick his addictions. In 2007, Kevin made a deal with the WWE to sell the entire world-class television library to them. A documentary called The Triumph and Tragedy of World Class was released, along with a number of the promotion's classic matches. In 2009, the Von Erich family was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by longtime rival Michael P.S. Hayes. This was at WrestleMania 25 in Houston, Texas. Today, the World Class Library is available on the WWE Network, and Kevin occasionally makes appearances on the network, introducing the matches. In 2016, the fabulous Freebirds were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, this time in Dallas. Kevin made a cameo and appeared with Michael Hayes on stage. The next night, he also appeared at WrestleMania 32, which was held before over 100,000 fans at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. And there is little doubt that many a fan there that day remember the glory days of world-class championship wrestling and the heroic Von Erich family. Wow. This is uh, it's kind of a bummer, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, we 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 laughed about it, I think, last week when we just talked about, you know, being kids in the schoolyard and putting the iron claw on people and uh, 
you know, now it's like, oh, like this is a family that's been rocked by tragedy. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was, and there's a there's a lot of cause for it. Uh, part of it was just the time, um, and part of it could squarely be on Fritz von Erich. And you know, there's some things we didn't even talk about that that the promotion did that were just bad decisions and in poor taste. Um, you know, be- between the deaths of Mike and Chris, uh, towards the end of Fritz running the promotion. He uh, he had a, a a angle, which is a uh, parlay parlance of the wrestling business, but it's a it's a something that occurred on television where he had a heart attack, uh, and at the time, still they treated everything on TV as real, and everything that occurred, it was real. It was not uh, it was not scripted. It was not acknowledged as scripted. But he had a he had a heart attack, and uh, people genuinely thought that he may have died on television, and mm-hmm. at, but at the same time, like when it was revealed that it wasn't real and people called the hospital and he, he wasn't at the hospital, it was just yet another thing that chipped away at, uh, their legacy, right? It chipped away at what that people just stopped believing. And that's the big thing that really, really killed the promotion is that the things bad that happened and news just started to, to leak out about Ke- Carrie's problems and Kevin's problems. People just stopped believing and they stopped caring and they stopped, yeah. yeah. In 1983, they genuinely cared. They yeah. they were passionate about these these boys and their family. And within a few years, that was gone. It was it was wasted and frittered away. Yeah. I what I think is interesting about this whole story of the the Von Erics is it's this you know professional wrestling is that unique intersection of uh, professional athletes and show business, um, two industries that are pretty well known for pushing their stars to their limits. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have a family that's, you know, pushed to be, you know, physically strong and uh, all of those things, they're, they're also meant to be popular and they're the stars and they have to, you know, put on their best face and they have to play this character. And the, the fact that professional wrestling also um, has this conceit of reality um, that used to be taken a lot more seriously. You know, it's, it, I think it's a lot more tongue in cheek these days. You know, like you said, everybody had this this faith in them, and they there's a lot of pressure on them to be those characters uh, in their their lives in and outside of the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Gary Hart in his book said that uh, after Mike died, he 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 pleaded with Fritz to do something about Carrie and to do something about Kevin to. To and to not use Chris, uh, you know, he pleaded with him, and begged him, just just begged them, and and when he when Fritz didn't listen to him, he just walked away for the last time. He never came back, um, yeah. and and he he loved those boys. I mean, despite the fact that he was, you know, on television and in in the arenas, he was Fritz's hated enemy. He was Fritz's right hand man for long stretches of his career, and and those he said the boys called him Uncle Uncle Gary. You know that he was yeah. he was their uncle and. Um, and it was hard. It was very, it was very hard on the people inside the business. David Manning was a referee and he was, he was kind of the babysitter for, for the boys, uh, cause he was their age and he got into trouble with them a lot, but he, he, he had to walk away at one point, you know, he ended up getting fired because he couldn't keep, keep Carrie under control or, you know, so, uh, that's, that's one of the stories I've heard. Other stories is that he did walk away because he just couldn't deal with 
the pressure that Fritz put on. I, I, I've always felt it was sad. Mike was the real was the real sad story to me, and, and Chris was definitely the sad story. But Mike, it seemed like Mike didn't want to be in front of the camera, and that fever that he got, uh, 107 degrees, should kill you, and and it fries <laughs> your brain. It it yeah. causes brain over 103 causes can cause some brain damage. So that 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 this happened to him and that they continued to put him back on television they they should have let him live at his at home and you know for the rest of his life but they didn't and um you know well fritz seems I, like he was yeah. the old school dad oh, i mean and yeah. that's and that's i think like uh especially as modern parents we look at this and like you know it's okay to hug your kid once in a while well, and I think some of it, I mean, just projecting backwards, I think some of it was that they, you know, they lost the the, the boy early on, Jackie, um, and and that was a weakness. That was a failure. He, he saw that as a failure in his life. What could he have done differently? And and unfortunately, that meant controlling his boys' lives, but also like looking overlooking their negative points. Right. So there's a lot of things that could have been done differently. Um, yeah, you know, the David the David story. You know, we didn't we kind of touched on it that it was drugs, and it, it was known inside that the boys were on drugs. But David was the least of them. He was a drinker, but he wasn't a big pillhead like the other two brothers. Big drug user. Um, everybody that I've I've ever listened to on podcasts or read anything has said David was the was the brightest of the brothers um, and had the best mind for the business. And he would have. If he had been just kind of left on his own, he would have stepped away from the camera and 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 really ran the business, and and that may have saved the promotion. Who knows? It's it's all what ifs in general. You know, what if somebody had made made Carrie go to rehab and you know made it stick? You know, what if you know what if Mike hadn't been pushed? What if you know Kev or Chris had been told you just can't be a wrestler, son? So you know, there's a lot of what ifs with this story. When you hear a story like this and you see this level of tragedy across an entire family, um, it's easy to look on in from the outside and sort of think like, well, Fritz pushed them or there was too much pressure or there was this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, they were grown-ups, and this was the career they chose to follow. This was the life they tried to do. And, you know, it's just really tragic and sad that their lives all ended uh, so young and in, in such, you know, deep depression. So let's just think about the good times. Let's go back to last week and think about the good times. Well, and, and, you know, uh, Kevin has been on this documentary. He's been on an uh, ESPN E60 show and, and, and he, he talks about the tragedies of his family, but he, you know, he says, "I, I, you know, I'm a man who had four brothers and now I don't have any. Um, but he also does talk a lot about just the good times and the good memories of his dad and of his mom and of his of his brothers and and, it, and he he seems like a good a really good family man. He's got a big family and his kids all live with him in Hawaii and, his, and, and so he's 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 a it's a good story. He made a lot of money selling to the WWE, selling the the the, li- the television library. So good for him that that he was able to. Uh, uh, pass along the good things of 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 his family's legacy and that's that's what's going to stick around and that's what's going to stick around a lot of Texans memories is the the good memories of the sportatorium and the Von Erichs and the and the Freebirds amen Scott do you have anything to add no I mean just it's it's a, a 
almost Shakespearean tale of uh, fabulousness and despair. Well, you know, I yeah. think now that uh, Manuel Lynn Miranda is uh, taking a break from Hamilton, maybe we can get him to do <laughs> Perhaps he can, the Von Erichs. bulk up at the, the gym. <clears throat> I would love to see those guys do uh, the Von Eric, the tragedy of the Von Eric story. <laughs> Yeah. In a rap I, I, I would like to see that. I would prefer that he take he tackles another historic figure and does Jim Bowie. Oh, maybe Santa oh. Ana. How about Santa Ana? <laughs> then well, Noel Miranda as yeah. Jim Bowie. Actually, hey, how about once again, Lynn Manuel Miranda? Oh, and now there's a real Texas hero. That's a great story. There you go. Yeah, a hip a hip hopra about once again. Uh, a Tejano hip hop. I cannot believe you said hip hopra. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas wrestling, even the sad stories. So tell your friends about us and get out there and leave a review on iTunes because it really helps us out to find listeners just like you. There's still a chance to get a shirt. So go to texaspodcast.fm and buy one. Get yourself to patreon.com slash texaspodcast and sign up to be a patron for the show where you too can become a come and take a Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>